0: All right. Good morning. Uh, As was already uh, announced earlier, I'm Dave Jane. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect Church. If you're visiting, it's great to see you here this morning. Welcome. Uh, We're in a series right now, and actually this morning we're wrapping up this series. Uh, The series is called Beyond Ordinary, and over the last few weeks we've been looking at um, some different aspects of of relationships. We're all in relationships. It could be the guy you work with, it could be your sister, it could be your neighbor, it could be your husband, or your wife, your mom, or your dad. Uh, Every one of us engages in relationships every single day of our lives. So we've been looking at some different relational aspects that if we were to live not just at an ordinary level, but at a beyond ordinary level, it could enhance the relationships in our life. So we've been talking about things like encouragement and trust and and honesty and forgiveness, but I've got to be honest with you, everything was kind of leading up to this final morning because this morning, I want to talk about a very big relationship that many in the room this morning are a part of, uh, many in the room one day will be a part of, and that is marriage. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about beyond ordinary marriage. And in order to set up this subject, in just a second we're going to watch a video. And uh, I need to apologize up front because this will wreck your day. Okay? So uh, check out this video.
1: she started to talk, and I said, listen, I'm going to deliver a speech. I said, at the end, you're going to want to go home. I said, you represent a 34-letter word. I said, that word is love. I said, if we're going anywhere, we're going down the aisle because I'm too tired, too sick, and too sore to do any other thing. And she turned around, and she said, well, of course I'm marry you." And the next morning, I called her as early as I possibly could. And he always gets up early. To make, to make sure mm-hmm. she hadn't changed her mind. And she hadn't. And the uh, Every year on on April 22nd, around 3 o'clock, I call her and ask her if it was today, would she do it again? And so far, the answer's been the same.
2: Yeah, 25 times yes.
1: You, You see, the thing of it is, I always feel guilty when I say I love you to you, and I say it so often. I say it to remind you that, as dumpy as I am, it's coming from me. it's it's like hearing a beautiful song from
2: a busted old radio, yeah, well. and it's nice for you to keep the radio around the house. If I don't have a note on the kitchen table, I think there's something wrong. You write a love letter to me. Well, every the only morning. thing that could possibly be wrong is I couldn't find a silly pen to my princess, the weather out today is extremely rainy. I'll call you at eleven twenty in the morning. It's a romantic weather, and report. I love you. I love you, I love you.
1: When a guy is happily married, no matter what happens at work, no matter what happens in the rest of the day, there's a shelter when you get home. There's a knowledge knowing that you can hug somebody without them throwing you downstairs and saying, get your hands off me. And being married is like having a color television set. You never want to go back to black and white.
2: The illness is not hard on me. It's just, you know, the finality of it. And him, he goes along like a trooper. Listen,
1: even downhill, a car doesn't roll unless it's pushed. And you're giving me a great push. The deal of it is, we try to give each other hope. And not hope that I'll live. Hope that she'll do well after I pass. Hope that people will support her. Hope that if she meets somebody and likes him, she marries them. You know, he has everything planned, you know. I'm working on it. She said it was her call. She wants to walk out behind the casket alone. I guess that's the way to do it, because when we were married, you know how your brother takes you down, your father takes you down? She said, well, I don't know which of my brothers to walk in with. I don't want to offend anybody. I said, I got a solution. I said, you walk in with me, you walk out with me. And the other day, I said, who's going to walk down the aisle with you behind the casket? You know, to support her. And she said, "Nobody." I walked in with you alone. I'm walking out with you alone. Mm-hmm. There's a thing in life where you have to come to terms with dying. Well, I haven't come to terms with dying yet. I want to come to terms with being sure that you understand that my love for you up to this point was as much as it could be, and it'll be as much as it could be for eternity. I always said the only thing I have to give you is a poor gift, and it's myself. And I always gave it. And if there's a way to come back and give it, I'll do that too. Do you have the Valentine's Day letter there?
2: Yeah. My dearest wife, this is a very special day It is a day on which we share our love, which still grows after all these years. Now that love is being used by us to sustain us through these hard times. All my love, all my days, and more. Happy Valentine's Day.
1: I could write on and on about her. She lights up the room in the morning when she tells me to put both hands on her shoulders so she can support me. She lights up my life when she says to me at night, wouldn't you like a little ice cream? Or would you please drink more water? I mean, those aren't very romantic things to say, but they stir my heart. In my mind, in my heart, there has never been, there is not now, and never will be another any.
0: I, uh, I watched that two or three times, and even when I was getting ready to watch, like the third time I'm watching it, it's still tearing me up watching it, just how beautiful their relationship is. But I, I wanted to show it this morning, and I've got to be honest, it was tough, because I knew I had to then come up and speak after it, and I knew that really every one of you is in a different place right now. But it, when I'm talking about Beyond Ordinary Marriage, that, that to me represents just a wonderful relationship between a couple. Just an amazing, and, and I hope this morning as we start speaking about what a beyond ordinary marriage could look like, that there was something in you that was stirred as you watched that that inspired you to think, that's what I want. You know, if I'm married right now, that's what I want years from now. If, if I'm one day to be married, that's the kind of marriage I'd like to be. Maybe right now things aren't great and there was something in you that thinks, man, I want to get back too, because that's the kind of marriage that I really want, So with all that in mind, I wanted to talk this morning because, you know, I believe that God created marriage. I think it was his idea in the first place. I think it was a wonderful idea. And he meant for all of us to be married. You know, it says in the very beginning of the Bible, back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There's an older version of the Bible, the King James Version, and that says it this way. It says, um, to leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, which is where we get the phrase to leave and cleave. And that's how God intended marriage to be. Unless you're like uh, Ray Romano from the show Everyone Likes Raymonds, and uh, whose mother moved in next door, so he did cleave, but the leaving part wasn't completely uh, done. And uh, obviously that show's funny because none of the husbands we have in this room are like that, are they? You've, they've all left their mum and uh, cleaved to you wives this morning, I'm sure. Um, but the plan was from the very beginning for God, from God, was that two would become one. But here's the thing. It wasn't just a a systematic plan. It wasn't just an organizational thing where God thought, oh, this will be a good idea. He thought, no, this is going to be a great idea. I want marriage not just to be a good arrangement. I want it to be a wonderful union between two people. You see, God God wants to really explain clearly to us just how wonderful marriage was be, would be. So, so there's a book in the Bible that talks about it called Song of Songs. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as Song of Solomon because the, a guy by the name of Solomon wrote the book. And it's quite an amazing book. It talks all about um, relationships and marriage and love, and uh, and it's very graphic at times, as it talks about the love between this 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 courtship that takes place between a, a soon-to-be husband and wife. So graphic that back in 90 A.D., a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Akiba at the Council of Jamnia, he had to fight with the with the other people to to, to allow this book to be kept in the Jewish canon of scripture. At the time, they wanted it kept out because they felt it was. too graphic. But he believed this was God saying, listen, this isn't just about marriage. This is, this is a story talking about how much God loves every one of us. And I'm so glad that the book is still in the Bible today, because when you read it, it tells a beautiful story of love. The first couple of chapters through verse 6 of chapter 3, it describes the courtship between this young man and this young woman. It's beautiful, the interaction between these two people. And then chapters three, six, 3, verse 6 through 5, verse 1 describe their marriage and the consummation of that marriage. And that section in the middle that describes the marriage, it closes out in chapter 5, verse 1, like this. It says, Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. That Song of Songs 5, verse 1, is talking about marriage. You see, the imagery here is of a banquet host speaking to guests at his table. And their relationship is likened to a meal with the best food and the best drink. And the host is saying, hey, have at it. Enjoy everything you see before you. Now, he's not saying that um, things are supposed to be perfect all the time. But he is saying, I want you to get the good stuff that there is to get to eat and to drink your fill of the very best. When I read those few verses, there isn't a hint of God saying, well, you need to keep your expectations in check. Let's not be unrealistic here. Let's not set our sights too high. You know, As long as you're doing better than most, then I'm sure that's still pretty good. No, when God talks about love here, when God's talking about marriage, He's saying, I want you to have the very best there is. I want your marriage to be beyond ordinary. So this morning, let's ask that question of ourselves. What does a beyond ordinary marriage look like? What's it going to take to have the kind of relationship that God is talking about here in Song of Songs? The kind of relationship that we saw modeled in that video earlier that deep down all of us yearn for. Now, if you're here this morning and you're single, please don't switch off at this point. Statistics tell us that 90% of Americans who are single will one day be married. It's still quite a popular thing to do. Uh, they even tell us that more than 50% whose marriage has ended in divorce will marry again. So whether you're here this morning you're married or one day you will be married, I want you to listen to this because I think this will really help you in your marriage relationship. I even think this will help just in your everyday relationships. You know, earlier on in the series, we talked um, about an organization called the Gottman Institute. It was in the Message on Encouragement, and this particular institute, they specialize in relationships and relational problems. Dr. John Gottman, who has done more research on this topic of extraordinary marriages than anyone else, says there is one distinguishing factor that moves a marriage from ordinary to beyond ordinary In fact, he even goes on to say that he can observe a couple talk for just 15 minutes and predict with 90% accuracy whether they will be needing a divorce attorney or not within five years by simply looking for this one factor in extraordinary marriages. So what is this X factor that this guy is looking for? This this expert on relationships, what is the X factor that he's looking out for? Maybe it's how busy the couple were and how, how tied up they were in their individual lives. Maybe what he looked for was how different their personalities were or their tastes. Maybe what it was was that how they'd changed over their years of being married. Because let's be honest, if you've been married here for any length of time, you'll know that, that life changes and, and we grow and we change and, and husbands change and wives change. Maybe it was the fact that couples were changing, but it was none of those. None of those that you may think, well, maybe that's the X factor. Maybe that's what he would point out. No, none of the above. He said that the X factor in an extraordinary marriage is simply how you communicate with each other during conflict. He said when he watches a couple, he can tell by how they communicate with one another in conflict how strong or weak that marriage is. It's about conflict and how you resolve it. Now, listen, don't misunderstand me here. He wasn't saying whether the relationship had conflict or not. Because the reality is, all relationships have conflict. If you're single here today and you're hoping to one day be happily married, I've got to prepare you. There will come times of conflict. You and your beautiful spouse just occasionally aren't going to see eye to eye on everything. Conflict will come. In fact, studies show that whatever it is you're fighting about this morning, if you're married here this morning, about seven out of 10 of those things you will still be fighting about for the rest of your life. It's great news. Amen. Welcome to Connect Church. Have a great day. I'm going to send you off to... But isn't it true, some of those things, you know, maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, uh, I wrote down a few uh, examples here, it could, be, it could be money, it could be a parenting style, it could be whose parents are coming to Thanksgiving, it, whatever those are, some marriages, we find that these are just a, the same struggle, the same conflict that we have all the time. So he doesn't say whether or not there is conflict, because he is fully aware that every relationship will encounter conflict. In fact, he would go as far as to say that you can't judge the health of a marriage by whether or not there is conflict. Because let's be honest here, we we can all think of couples that um, when it comes to conflict, maybe you can think of a couple that that never fight, but you can tell that there's this underlying kind of passive-aggressive tension between them, and, and very often that can eventually lead to destruction in their marriage. We sometimes, maybe you know a couple who fight a lot, They're very passionate, and they're always fighting. But actually, they have a very strong marriage. And maybe it's not how much they fight. Maybe it's the make it up that's keeping that marriage strong. But something, you know, you can't look at these marriages and say, okay, well, well, that one they don't fight, and this one they do. Because what Gottman says is, it's not whether they have conflict or not. It's how they handle that conflict that's what makes the difference between an ordinary and a beyond ordinary marriage. In fact, he would go so far as to say that can sometimes make the difference between a marriage that will make it and a marriage that may not make it. So I want to take a few minutes this morning and look at two principles found in the Bible that I want us to apply, one that will help us in the midst of conflict and one that I hope will help us even before we find ourselves in conflict. And as we look at these two things this morning, they're going to be built upon what we've been talking about for the last four weeks. Because I hope every one of you, as we've talked about these different relational aspects of beyond ordinary living, you've been kind of filtering that and applying that in your own marriage. So as we've talked about things like encouragement, we spent a week and we talked about honesty and we talked about trust and we talked about forgiveness and every one of them had different takeaways of how can I be a better person when it comes to encouragement or trust or or whatever it may be. And I hope that you use those four and, and you put those into your marriage context as well. Because the four of those alone can make a healthier, healthier marriage if you choose to live those at a beyond ordinary level. But using those four as the foundation, those four as the groundwork, we're going to build on that a little bit this morning by looking at these two biblical principles. They're both real short, real simple verses, and we're going to spend a few minutes looking at each one. The first, uh, it was Paul who wrote this. He was writing to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, he says something really simple but if we could grasp this in our life and live it, could change our marriages. He says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. There's an older translation of the Bible, the King James Version. It says, be angry and sin not. What I like about this is Paul isn't saying, hey, don't be angry because that's sin. Paul knows what life's like. Paul knows that in our relationships, there are times where we're going to get angry. Things are going to happen, and they're going to stir up anger inside of us. But Paul's saying, hey, listen, these can be two separate things. In your anger, sin not. When you, when you become angry, do not sin. He's almost saying, listen, if there is a chance of you sinning, if there's a chance of you messing up relationally, if there's a chance of you hurting the one you love... There's actually a likelihood that it'll happen more in anger, in times of anger, than outside. So, so when that happens, when you find yourself getting angry, don't cross that line. Don't, don't sin. So how does that work in a marriage? Well, in order to kind of fully understand, we've got to really understand what Paul's talking about when he talks about sin, Sin is the, is the wrong things we do, you know, the mistakes we make, the bad things we do. But ultimately, at the very core of what sin is, if I had to choose a word to define it, it would be self. Self, me. It's about getting what I want. It's about me being right. And as long as that's on the throne, as long as it's like, I want to be right, I want it my way, I want I, 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 then there's a strong likelihood that in our anger, we will sin because we're focused on me, me, me. So the challenge is, if we're going to find a way of not sinning in our anger, how do we avoid that? Well, Jesus addressed this many times. This is one of the things he said, according to Luke, in Luke 9, 23. He says that he stood before a crowd. He said to them, if any of you wants to be my followers, so if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, let me tell you where, where Jesus drew the line. He says, listen, you must turn away from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the challenge. If, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to live um, a beyond ordinary life, if you want to have beyond ordinary relationships, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to turn away from your selfish ways. Because if your desire is always to gratify self, then that's going to lead to problems. So in our anger, how do we handle conflict while still avoiding sinning? Well, I was thinking about it this week, praying, preparing for this message, and I was thinking in a relational context, there are probably two times that we face anger. There's that, there's that instant anger where something happens, and, and uh, I don't know what it might be, but your, your husband said he was going to do something, and he didn't, or your wife says that she was, this was going to happen, and it didn't happen, and, and you get into that discussion straight away, and it's, it's one of those arguments where, you know, it's just straight away it escalates, Casey and I had an argument like that once. We were in a tent at the time. And uh, I can remember as I stormed out and slammed the flap, it didn't really have the same effect. But I'm talking about the kind of, the kind of arguments where doors are slammed and voices are raised and people... <laughs> She's laughing because we, we never really had that argument. I could see that frown on her face like, when were we in a tent together? So it was a joke. But anyway, <laughs> to set the scene for the, the kind of argument where a door, you know, it's one of those and you walk away thinking, ah, I wish I hadn't gone there. So, so those are easy to avoid. Those are like, okay, deep breath, count to 10, whatever it may be, but I don't want to sin because I got angry and things escalated quickly. But what I want to talk about a little bit more here is the second type of argument that sometimes we find ourselves getting into with a spouse where it develops out of something. Maybe there's been a few hours now, maybe a few days of dishes being washed and crashed around, or, or maybe it's the opposite. It's, it, it's silence. You're like, okay, I know something is up here. And that moment comes where either you or your spouse decides to address what's caused the problem, and you go into that conflict, and in that moment, you will determine whether or not you, in your anger, sin or not. And I want to give you some really practical advice that I've come across just recently that I hope will help you. I've been reading a book called Crucial Conversations, and um, it's helped me a lot through this whole series, but there's one chapter where the author talks about the power of and... And he says, it's all to do with asking two questions. He said, the first question is, what do I really want? What do I really want? And the second question is, what do I really want to avoid? He says, any discussion you're having, especially if you're married here this morning, you're with your spouse, you should have these two questions in your mind with every discussion you're going to have. What do I want, and what do I want to avoid? Because the truth is, most of us, all of us, go into conversations like that very clearly knowing what we want. And that's what gets us into trouble. We go in because we want to be right. We want to let them know what they did wrong. We want to make sure that this habit changes. We want, and, and that's what we want. And when that's the only question we're asking, that kind of creates a, a volatile conversation, doesn't it? The, the other person kind of gets defensive. They feel like they're being attacked. you know. And, and suddenly it's a, a very um, aggressive and just not a very healthy situation. But what this author is saying is, listen, why not come up with a second question to ask? Because even if you win the argument, it's still at the expense of relational wholeness. So what would happen if you tried asking another question? So let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, your spouse has let you down somehow again, uh, despite several times of asking them to do something, they still haven't done it. So I know you're going to have to use a lot of imagination for this, but uh, just pretend that that has happened. And uh, in your talk, your conflict, you want them to become more dependable. Well, that's question number one. I, I, I really want this, my spouse, as a result of this conversation, to become more dependable. But if that's the only question you frame the talk under, there's a chance they may feel attacked. They might get defensive. They might shut down. But what if, as well as that, you asked, uh, asked yourself another question: of What do I want to avoid? So in this scenario, it might be, I don't want to create bad feelings. I don't want to lose my temper. I want to have a conversation about being more defendable and avoid bad feelings and avoid wasting time. Here's what happens. By adding that second question, it can change the outcome of the conversation. Because what happens is when you're you're asking both those questions, you go from wanting to be right to just wanting to see change. However, that's going to happen. And in that situation, in your anger, you're making a choice not to sin. Because you're going and saying, listen, I don't want this to continue. I don't want this habit. I want this to be addressed. I don't want to live in silence or I don't want this tension. I want to deal with this with my husband. I want to deal with this with my wife. But I want it to go well. I want this conversation to go well, so, so this is what I want, and this is what I don't want to happen. This is what I want to avoid in that conversation. And just by adding that, convers- just by adding that question, it changes the way we dialogue with one another. But ultimately, however you frame those questions, you've really got to get to a point where you are going to say, in my anger, I don't want to sin. Because there's going to come a, a, a heated discussion here, and that's okay, but I don't want to sin. I don't want to, fight at the, uh, at the expense of self. I don't want to point the finger. I don't want to um, argue and put this person down just so I can be right. I want this to be resolved. Here's the second idea that I found when I was um, studying. And, and I'll be honest with you, we could do a whole series, and I'm sure we will because this is a, a great subject for all of us, the idea of marriage and a healthy, successful marriage. But just for now, these were the two thoughts I came up with. The first was, in your anger, do not sin. The second was from Peter, uh, one of the apostles, one of the disciples. He wrote in 1 Peter 4 verse 8, love covers over a multitude of sins. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Again, a real short verse, a real simple concept, but I wanted to keep it two very simple things that you could remember, because here's what I think of when I think of this verse, that love covers over a multitude of sins. I think it's like Peter saying, hey, listen, you can tip the scales the other way. There is a way to actually, um, when it comes to your relational bank accounts, love can be the deposits, whereas sins are the withdrawals. And here's the great thing about what Peter is saying. Love, singular, covers a multitude of sins. So it's almost like he's saying there's a ratio here. That when you show love, when you do something to affirm your spouse, love your spouse, do something good, that actually has more value than a multitude of sins. When you do something good, it can cover a multitude of bad things. We can be proactive. We can determine to show love. We can make deposits. You don't have to stop making withdrawals or become perfect at never hurting the other person or misstepping in your relationship because that's just going to be impossible. Now, sure, it's a good idea to aim for that. But overall, I think we need to start by making sure that the good stuff is outnumbering the not-so-good stuff. Now, obviously, there are going to be extreme situations, maybe infidelity, abuse, and and this doesn't work in that situation. That would take a much uh, deeper, maybe, counseling, that kind of thing. But in our day-in, day-out relationship, we have opportunities for love to cover a multitude of sins. We can pour in, we can input, and this, I think, will prevent some conflict. If you think of it as a relational bank account, if you've made a lot of deposits... You can afford a withdrawal every now and again. But if that bank account's empty, I guarantee you when that withdrawal is made, conflict is coming. Because despite what Disney or the Hallmark Channel might have told us, here's the bottom line about being happily married. Listen to this. Being happily married isn't about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. Being happily married isn't about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. The truth is that our relational happiness is is so much more about um, being the right person, the person that invests into the other's relational bank account. Not so that we can get something back, but so we can give something. We can give that other person the love and respect that they deserve. And I think that will make our marriages extraordinary. I think it's a great account because the deposit of love covers a multitude of sins, the withdrawals. So, so those deposits can cover a multitude of withdrawals at time. So I want to challenge you in your day-in, day-out relationships to just try and apply those two very simple concepts. In your anger Do not sin. Make that choice and say, listen, when I face conflict, because I'm going to face conflict, I'm going to make a choice not to sin. I'm going to handle this differently. Maybe I'll ask that second question. I don't just want this outcome. I also want this outcome too. And the idea that love can cover a multitude of sins. So this morning, maybe you're here and you're in a marriage that's, that's doing okay, but when you saw that video, it just stirred it up thinking, you know, I, I know my marriage could be better, right? I know I've settled a little bit in my married life right now, and I don't wanna I want to settle. I don't want an ordinary marriage. I want a beyond ordinary marriage. So maybe applying those two things this morning will help you but maybe you're here this morning and the reality is that we wouldn't know this on the outside looking and you may be sat right now and you may even be holding your spouse's hand but the pair of you know that, that when you get out of here this morning things are difficult. Things are rough. There's, there's conflict. There's problems. You gave up a long time ago making deposits into the relational bank account and the truth is that you're afraid to ask to help because you have a preconceived idea of what it looks like when you ask for help. Watch this. Well, guys, I'm so glad that you came into counseling today. I think this is going to be great for, for all of us. Now, who's ready for some cuddle therapy? What are we doing here? We're learning to
2: love. Don't be shy.
1: Oh.
0: Gary, how you doing? I'm super. Okay, after showing that first video, I had to show that second video just to kind of balance things out here a bit this morning. But, um, you know, sometimes I think there are couples and they're struggling in their marriage. And the idea is, well, if I tell anyone, it's going to just open up this awkward, you know, and, and maybe we think that this is what counseling looks like. So I think counseling is fantastic. I think that there are sometimes the, a couple, because of what they're going through, the struggles they're having, that the counseling is essential. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think counseling is just forcing people to talk about their issues, and sometimes you can do that with people you trust, or friends, or leaders. Maybe you're in a small group, and it's the small group leaders, or a leader in the church. But none of that's going to happen. Those conversations, the, um, the counseling, none of that's going to happen until we come to a point and say, listen, I need help. And very often, the only time it'll happen and it'll work is, is when both the husband and the wife are willing to acknowledge that, that things aren't where they could be. And it might just need just a little bit of course correction. And a great conversation can help you guys get back on track. But, but it's, it's having the vulnerability and the, the courage to step up and say, I need some help in this situation. So I want to challenge you this morning, don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait to have that conversation until it's too late. You know, we talked this morning about uh, beyond ordinary marriage and and a few principles. But for some, those principles, um, it it may be too late to apply them because there's too much damage. So don't wait till it's too late. Find someone you can trust. Find a friend. Check into a counselor, whatever it may be, and say, listen, I want a great marriage. That's that's why I showed the video at the beginning. Because I wanted to stir that up in all of us, that in the day-in, day-out normality of life, We don't have to settle for second best. We don't have to settle for ordinary. There are couples, great couples here this morning who I know and love and and respect dearly the relationships they've had that have lasted years and years and years and and I aspire to be like. Because I'll be honest with you, this is a a tough message to preach when your wife's sat in the front row (laughs) scribbling notes. (laughs) She wasn't. But we will be having a conversation later about some of the things I said, and she's like, You know what? You should try that. So um <laughs> Marriages always need work, but I still believe that God created them. And like he said in Song of Songs, hey, it's like a feast. I want you to eat and to drink and enjoy it. It was meant to be a great, great thing. Let's pray together. Father, we uh We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about what it means to be beyond ordinary. We've talked about beyond ordinary in the sense of relationships at work and in the neighborhoods, Lord, between spouses, between uh, sons and daughters, and and whatever else. But, God, at the end of the day, for many here this morning, they're either married or they are um, part of a family, their parents are married. Maybe they're one day going to be married. Maybe they've been married before and they're now in a relationship and, and uh, they don't want to experience some of the things they experienced in a previous marriage, Lord. So I pray, God, that we wouldn't settle for ordinary in any of our relationships, but especially in our marriage. God, help us to know that you created marriage to be a wonderful thing, not just something that was ordinary, but something that was extraordinary. Extraordinary. And as we close out this series this morning, Lord, let that be our greatest, greatest desire that when it comes to relationships, we want to live beyond ordinary lives, but especially in our marriages, we want to live beyond ordinary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.